Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Kirk McEwen, Point 72's head of proprietary research until last year and recent founder of Carbon Arc, a new venture that provides decision intelligence to corporate clients. In our conversation, Kirk and I discuss the relationship between primary research and alternative data, Carbon Arc's business model, and the future of data. In other news, I will be speaking at Barrel Elites in New York on June the 20th and 21st. I hope to see many listeners there. So in this episode, I'm joined by Kirk McEwen, formerly of Point72, now of Carbon Arc. Thanks very much for joining today, Kirk. Hey, thanks, Mark. Nice to be here. Uh, Kirk, I usually um, go to ask a question about alternative data, and we kind of start from there. But in your case, actually, um, your uh, story, your life story, actually is 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 kind of worthy of a let's do Kirk McEwen type thing, and and actually going back and and let's start with how you actually got into the business. So just just quick background, I you know I grew up in Boston, I. Um, you know, sort of uh, grew up in a town called Medford, Mass, and, uh, you know, went to a private school in seventh grade called Belmont Hill, and then ended up at Harvard. And, uh, and, and, and when I came out of Harvard, I worked at a place called Tudor Investments, and I was in the venture group at Tudor. I started there in 99. So um, I, you know, I'm just showing my age here. Um, I was, I was, I was, I was at a venture firm, cold calling CEOs and CFOs of private companies, um, you know, sort of looking for to see if they needed growth capital um, back in like 99, 2000. So cold calling people like uh, Ariba and I2 and, uh, you know, cold calling Google um, and and was there 99.03. So saw. Was that a kind of because at the moment we're in a time where we've, we've been in a time where there's so much money around that the challenge has been finding the people to give it to in a way because and so it's been it's almost been a a seller's market from the perspective of of the of the yeah the the potential targets was it like that in 99 2000 in the middle of the dot com boom was it just so much money it was it, the, the reason i i got the gig was cuz you know east coast venture capital is very much about sort of um, blocking and tackling deal sourcing through, uh, you know, sort of cold calls, right? Um, Summit Partners and TA Associates have been around since the 70s doing that. Um, the guys, the, 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 the folks at Tudor, uh, particularly people like Bob Ferlenza, Carmen Scarpa, Rick Ganong, and then Jimmy Pilata, obviously running the office, um, they were building out a venture group uh, within Tudor and they hired me as an intern to cold call. And so my junior summer, um, you know, sort of, I was, I was living in, in, in Cambridge and, uh, working, you know, uh, down on Rose Wharf in Boston. I literally would go in, um, and, and cold call private companies because it was, it was really hard to find deals. Um, you know, Tudor was, a, a, a you know, sort of launching into this venture sort of effort over, uh, as, as, as part of a larger hedge fund complex. Um, and there was a ton of noise. And so in order to rise above the noise, you needed to get out there. Um, and actually be very thoughtful and systematic about deal sourcing. And so, you know, you know, sort of that turned into an internship over the senior, my senior year, and then it converted into a full-time job 
Um, and, uh, and I ended up spending three years uh, at Tudor, um, which was great. Um, I did a ton mm -hmm. of, I did a ton of sourcing um, and, and spent a lot of time really learning ecosystems, um, you know, sort of supply chain software and then how to figure out, you know, sort of like HR software. So, you know, in order to do the right type of sourcing, you had to figure out all the players in the space, public and private. You had to figure out what they did. You had to craft the right uh, approach to the CEO or CFO who were getting approaches from everybody else. And then you had to sort of figure out how to structure and package that lead for an associate inside the organization to see if there were deal opportunities to be had. And so it was it was a cool job as, as a 23-year-old. Um, you know, in, you know, it, I was on the buy side at a young age. Um, you know, one of the challenges was I didn't have any peers inside the, in, inside the, inside the org. I was the, the youngest person in the office when I got there and the youngest when I left. Um, and so, you know, sort of that plus, um, the lack of deal flow, um, actual deals happening because it was post, you know, sort of crash in March of 2011, I ended up, I ended up not getting sort of the, the experience that I needed. Uh, to model. Um, so like if I, if I had done a banking program, I would have gotten, you know, a ton of uh, modeling uh, chops and I would have, I would have gotten proficient in a, in a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. I didn't have that same experience in a tech, in a mid to late stage technology venture company that didn't do a lot of deals. We did like two deals in 16 months at one point when I was there. So I went back to business school and I went to MIT. Um, so I went to Sloan and, and had a great experience at Sloan. Um, and then from when in Sloan, the second year of Sloan, you know, I really wanted to move to New York. I wanted to get down and, uh, you know, on the buy side down, down, down in New York. And I started interviewing using my network and I was having a really tough time. You know, I had, I had sort of a, um, I didn't have banking experience, which was a, you know, a really, a really big challenge breaking into the hedge fund community in 2005. Um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I had a thick Boston accent. I was really rough around the edges. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, and so fundamentally, Boston, Boston's a bit of a hotspot for hedge funds, though, isn't it? Do you still get do you still get discriminated against with a Boston accent there? Oh, you know, I, I, Boston accent doesn't help you most places. But, um, you know, <laughs> um, you know, back then it was it was it was really sort of, uh, you know, the hedge fund complex was was there was there was Tudor. Uh, there was Highfields. Um, uh, you know, there was uh, there was, you know, Jeff Vinnick had a fund at that point. Um, you know, uh, mine it, uh, was another one. Um, so there were, there were, it was a smaller hedge fund community. It was pretty dense and, and Tudor and, and, and a couple of the others dominated. It was still very much Fidelity, Putnam and Wellington, um, you know, sort of were the big drivers, uh, at, you know, at that, at that stage of the game. Um, okay. but started interviewing, um, in 05 and, and, and went into a ton of interviews and just frankly didn't have the, you know, sort of the, 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 the modeling experience or, fr you know, frankly, the, you know, sort of the, the, the training, um, to, to, to execute on the interview process in the way that I wanted to. Um, and I, I got an I got an interview actually, uh, at a large hedge fund and they gave me a project, um, which was, um, to look at the Sears, uh, Kmart merger, which had happened, um, when, uh, Eddie Lampert, uh, bought Sears, uh, with Kmart. Um, and Gary Balter from CSFB was the only, um, you know, the only publishing analyst. And I had had such bad experience, walking into interviews and not having, you know, good outcomes that I basically locked myself in the computer lab at, at, at MIT. And I, and I spent a hundred hours on the, on the project. Um, and, uh, and, and I did my old fashioned deep dive that I would have done cold call. And so I ended up, uh, you know, going to visit a bunch of stores, but also cold calling and getting on the phone 
um, the head of supply chain for Procter and Gamble and Scott's Miracle Grow, um, and and of the former VP Logistics for Sears, and just asking them like what a merger means and and where and where the improvements can come at different points in the PNL, and you know sort of getting really good rich conversations with some of these uh, with some of these folks, and then building a big model that was held together with duct tape. And I had a call list where I had talked to dozens of people around the name, and I walked into this interview, and I had I had had you know really tough experience on these on this interview, on these interviews, and so I walked in and I throw the model out and I throw out the call list, and they put the model to the side and they looked at the call list and they're like, how did you do this? And I and I and I realized that I had something there, and they had me do another project and another project, and that 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 opportunity didn't work out, but. Um, I, I ended up interviewing on that project with other firms, and it eventually got me, um, you know, sort of into uh, into a seat on the street. The time is now 2005, and it strikes me that by that point, somebody has somehow a instinct for making a million cold calls and mapping a market or a or a problem or a company or, or whatever is in your DNA. How did it get in there? Was it someone at Tudor Investment, or was it was it was it from before? Do you think where did it come from? Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. It's um, if you take a big step back, you know, it, it's 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 I'm, I'm I think I'm an analyst by uh, by trade, and, and certainly by trade, but I think I'm also an analyst by sort of how my brain works. I think in networks, and I think in sort of um, you know sort of understanding you know, sort of, uh, how things flow in, you know, systems. Right. And like mm. some of that comes from, um, just the, just, just my general makeup, um, you know, uh, just from, for context, I, you know, I, I struggled as a young person, um, you know, with, with, with sort of, I've been sober for 18 years, um, you know, and, and, and implicit in that was, you know, sort of a lot of, uh, you know, sort of deep diving sort of my own personal, journey and understanding, you know, sort of the makeup of me and, 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 and what works and what doesn't. And, you know, at a fundamental level, um, a lot of the, you know, like, I like to get to the end of things and I like to take things to the wall. And what's great about primary research is you're never done, right? And um, at the end of the day, all, all primary research really is, is about understanding decision trees, and then assigning, uh, you know, reasonable probabilities to said decision trees, um, and then knowing when to prune branches on those decision trees in a thoughtful and rational and correct way, right? And what you always want to create are unfair unfair advantages um, and binary outcomes that have a uh, you know, probability skew, and that's the whole game, right? And so. Um, you know, sort of the, 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 the way that supply chains work, the way that ecosystems engage and interact, these are all relational dynamics um, that are researchable and that are understandable if you do the work. And what I always loved about uh, primary research, you know, and this is another part of like, you know, the persona that I, 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 whether I choose to create it or I want to engage with it, I actually view it as very sort of like manual and blue collar. And it's, it's, it's fully a function of the amount of hours you put in the seat. The more hours you put in the seat, uh, the more work you can do. 
The more work you can do, the better your process becomes. The better your process becomes, the more efficient your work. The more efficient your work, the better the outcomes. Uh, you joined Glenview uh, January 2006. And by the by the time you leave, June 2012, you're managing director and head of prop research. This is a lot of the primary research that you're talking about. Is It's a kind of, um, you took that idea that you just um, laid out in terms of that job interview and you kind of did that that was the that was the what you did for a living broadly is yeah, that right yeah, yeah absolutely but what was great about what was great about Glenview was I joined as an analyst right so I joined as an analyst and that was a tool in my toolbox and I covered you know sort of names in the US and Europe um, I was I actually lived over, lived over in London for a year um, but, you know, sort of Larry Robbins, who's, you know, still running Glenview and, you know, is a, is a huge mentor in my life and, you know, and an important person um, in my career and, and, and personally as well. You know, he, he pulled me aside in 2007, said, you're really good at this, this primary research thing, right? See what you can build with it. And so he actually, he actually recognized the competitive advantage that existed and, and, and fertilized it and, and gave me the space to build something. And, you know, and frankly, I resisted at first, at least, you know, in my head, it was, I wanted to be an analyst. Analysts were quarterbacks, you know, like, um, you know, and, 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 and I, you know, I wanted my name on the door and I wanted the glory. And what was really interesting was, um, you know, another member at Glenview, John Roden, um, who's also still there as the president of the firm, another mentor and, and sort of a uh, colleague of mine, um, he gave me The Blind Side and, uh, by Michael Lewis. Mm. And The Blind Side's about a lot of different things, right? It's about, you know, sort of uh, you know, achievement. It's about redemption. It's about, um, you know, sort of- Which, which one is that? What's, what's that one about? It's, it's about, it's, it's, it's about uh, Michael Ober, um, you know, who was the, uh, the, line, the lineman, um, you know, sort of who, who um, you know, sort of came out of poverty to be-, to be um, uh, to be in the in, in, you know pro sports and, and and basically what Michael Lewis was looking at the blind side is really about uh, the left tackle position in football and if you think about sort of the left tackle position in football um, you know for a long time it was just you know a, a nameless and and, and 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 faceless person on an eleven man team um, but when Lawrence Taylor um, came into football um, and changed the way defensive ends worked right. Um, his innovations forced the left tackle to become the most important player on the field because they cover the quarterback's blind side. Quarterbacks are largely righty. And so left tackles became the most important position and one of the highest paid players on the field. And because, he, because he changed the game. Because Taylor, they had to defend Lawrence Taylor. Right. So like, yeah. you know, and so it's, 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 it's that, that is also a book about innovation and about achievement um, and, and, you know, Roden, Roden gave me that book and I read it and I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a left tackle or I'm a, I'm a lineman. Um, if I'm going to be a lineman, I want to be the best lineman on the field and the best lineman in the league. Can and I so just, can I just quickly translate this for my European audience? I think yeah. I have successfully done it. I think the equivalent is the way, um, Pep Guardiola made the fullback position really important when before it was just a kind of defender, but then Pep Guardiola like released the fullbacks and made them really important in the modern game. Anyway, as you were. <laughs> and so, um, and so I, I, I built, I built a primary research business, uh, at Glenview, um, that by, you know, sort of the middle of 2009, you know, sort of had, you know, sort of 
you know, over, you know, double digit people um, doing thousands and thousands of calls with the expert networks, tracking change um, in sort of, uh, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of supply chains globally delivering research insights um, to sort of the, 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 the investment team at Glenview. Um, it was a, it was a, you know, I was doing a substantial number of the calls myself um, and, you know, sort of it was, it was, it was a great time to be doing all of this work because, you know, sort of 08 happened. So, you know, I got to, you know, I frankly got to cut my teeth and go through a major sort of debt cycle and market cycle, um, you know, sort of uh, 2007 to 2009, not only seeing sort of the degradation in the global financial system and the subsequent impacts on enterprise, but also what happens when supply chains turn and restart. And so, you know, learned a ton over that time period um, and had, 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 you know, had a great experience, um, you know, sort of working for, for, for Larry and the team. Let's, let's expand the lens, actually, because you begin at Glenview in January 2006. You end up as managing director of uh, head of prop research, and then you move to Point72 in December 2012, and you end, uh, you end up in February 2021 as head of proprietary research there. So potentially we can kind of put those together because broadly it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like um, what you were doing was was kind of being Kirk McEwen in both um, and creating primary research functions and, and, and running them in, in, in both. So if if I can elide the, 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 the point between the two, is that possible? We could just talk about primary research as a, as a thing? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, primary research to me um, sounds like it's I've, I'm, I'm intrigued. This is the Alternative Data podcast. I'm intrigued by the relationship between the two in that between primary research and alternative data, because I often so primary research seems to me. So you describe, you know, teams, call centers full of people on the phone ringing up people, cold calling them, finding information, that pouring into the kind of the nerve center, the the brain at the center, and then and then um and then uh investment decisions being coming out of that. Uh that sounds to me like a pre-alternative data world. And it sounds to me like it's a way of getting large quantities of data before, you know, mobile phones are throwing off data automatically. Do you see alternative data and primary research? Do you see alternative data as the as the successor to primary research, or do you see it as um, sitting comfortably alongside it? I, I, th- I think it's under it, right? So if if primary research is the umbrella, um, all alternative data and uh, you know sort of what I would call sort of like you know uh, collect coll- there's 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 collection, there's synthesis, and then there's transformation, right? Um, your collection methods are going to be varied and multiple, right? You can you can walk malls, which people have been doing for years and years and years, right? You can mm-hmm. run a survey, which has been going on for a long time. You can do supply chain research channel checks, which is largely what I was running when I was at Glenview, and what also what I you know sort of what what I, what I built you know sort of a function at, at Point Seventy Two, um, you know, and then you start getting into you can go buy data. Right. And buying data or collect, you can collect data. So you can scrape. There are all these different, these are all collection mechanisms. At the end of the day, all primary research is self directed, organization directed research. Right. So anything that isn't coming from a third party is primary research. And that's, and that's why you're calling it proprietary research, because essentially it's data which you, which you end up with, which no one else on the market has because you got it yourself. 
It, yeah, I'll, I'll do you one better. It's insight. You know, like the, I think the function of primary research is to deliver insight, structured insight um, from all manner of, 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 of data and collection, right? Whether it's surveys or, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of observations and ports or satellite or geolocation or, you know, sort of uh, digital advertising data. Oh, there's, there's so many different types of collection, but it's, you have to bring it in. You have to structure and make sense of it. And then you have to do something with it, right? And so that is, you know, at a fundamental level, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, what what proprietary research is all about. Can you give me a flavor as much as you can of how primary research as a role looked in, two th- in 2006 and then how it looked in 2021 and the and the kind of the changes that underwent being in charge of primary research in a, in a major hedge fund during that period. Well, you know, I, you know, at, at, you know, at a very at a very functional level um, in 06, um, it's it, it, it almost mirrors the changes in the in, in, in frankly in the institutionalization of the you know buy side, right? So there's in 2006, it was like, what do you do? You know, sort of it was a it was it was a unique seat. There were a couple places on the street that had done something like that. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, sort of um, particularly on the single manager side. I think Larry was a visionary, frankly, in in sort of um, investing, um, you know, in sort of building enterprise value um, with a primary research business. Um, but you know, it was it was it was frankly very, you know, it was it was unique and differentiated. Um, at the firm level, and then also for me in my seat, um, there weren't, there weren't. I didn't have a lot of people out there um, that were sort of um, what I would call middle to back office um, that were sort of executing on that type of business at scale, right? Um, you know what I would say is if you look to 2020 and you look across, or like 2020 is the, the the benchmark, you look across, you know, sort of all the large hedge funds, everybody is approaching. Um, you know, proprietary research, which is creating your own insights based on collection of something. Um, all you know, I, I think a lot, many of the many of the larger firms, um, you know, both single manager and multi manager, um, have um, some version of a group and or team. Um, and you know, for a lot of the single managers, have small teams with a, with a lead who is sort of coordinating and facilitating. Um, you know, sort of. Uh, that type of work, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, across the street, you know, I can, I can name, you know, f- probably 15 firms off the top of my head um, that would have what I would call a, at least a pri- pr- proprietary research um, sort of head uh, or person um, who is, you know, sort of facilitating and managing that type of thing. The, 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 the larger firms have the biggest constructs, obviously, and have put the most capital behind it. Um, but, you know, it is a far more sort of um, you know, sort of, it's a component um, in, 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 you know, sort of uh, across many uh, people on the street. And you can see it in the institutionalization of some of the data that's that's being purchased on the street um, that back in 2012, 2013 um, was, you know, you know, just having it would have been a competitive advantage. Today, it becomes table stakes. It seems to me that just from the stories I've heard that that kind of that pre time, that 2006 to, I don't know, 2012, perhaps, um kind of time there's a lot of stories about people as you say 
going out to parking lots and counting cars themselves or going and kind of driving past cornfields to see what their what the corn looks like and you know actually treading the treading the ground and actually doing it themselves and um and in order to get that knowledge and then the description that you've given me before of creating cool centers of people doing you know doing a lot of a lot of a large number of calls in order to to gather that information that uh seems so that sounds to me and it feels to me like that a lot of that work has been replaced by so before it was about almost and again it's almost going back to the it's it's almost like the industrial age um, moving on to the digital age because the industrial age where you actually had to go and walk and actually had to go and had to ring the people and do the do all the do all the work now it feels like um much more a game of 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 a having the idea of actually maybe this data might be useful and then b similarly ringing up the person to try and or 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 finding a way to get hold of that data and probably coming up with a certain amount of money in order to buy the data um from from either exhaust data from a from a large company or whatever um but it seems like we moved on to the digital age because now it's about having the idea getting on the phone and potentially paying the money to get the data to do it so it it feels like it's gone from a from a kind of foot based and 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 phone based job to being more of a um uh kind of computer coding uh, uh buying data kind of job does that is that is that is that right i i i think it's i think it's um i think it's you know sort of directionally right what i would say is um you know the preponderance of data that exists in the world still is largely consumer based um you know and that because that's largely because of the the the, the well developed advertising funnel um so you know sort of there there are places where you know that good old fashioned you don't have to count cars anymore when you have a satellite you know mm. so, so you know like there are there are substitutes um but you know sort of the thing the thing that i think you know, was such a, there, there are two things that sort of came out of, you know, the training um, in, in, in those days of cutting teeth, um, you know, doing calls. One is um, a deep understanding of how all these businesses and supply chains truly work, right? Like their circadian rhythms of, you know, sort of lead times and build schedules and, you know, how a semiconductor cycle looks and feels and all of that domain knowledge that frankly makes using data uh, in a in, in in a responsible and facile way, um, you know, sort of frankly, um, it's 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 imperative to understand context in order to put context into data to make it predictive, right? Um, the second part is, you know, learning about compliance and the importance of collecting the right way and doing the right things. You know, sort of one thing about you know my my Glenview experience and then my experience. Um, my, my experience since 2006 is compliance has been at the forefront of all of this, right? And, you know, sort of doing things the right way, thinking about how to build the right business um, to collect and synthesize and, and, and sort of transform insight um, in, in, in an appropriate and in a compliant way. Um, that's been, that's been a, hu- it's a hugely valuable part of my, my game because, um, frankly, it, it, you know, once you have the 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 right machine built you can scale it the right way and, and you you know that 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 has been sort of those are the two things domain knowledge and really understanding how to build businesses in a compliant in, in, in the right way so you know like and, and everybody i've worked for has been a, a huge proponent 
of you know sort of doing things the right way and and, and that's that's been that's that's that allows for you know really uh you know sort of uh good rich and scaled collection what do you think are the biggest risks in regulation and compliance for um hedge funds looking to bring in alternative data and that's the current regulatory environment and what's what do you think is the biggest risk in tomorrow's regulatory regulatory environment what might come through what what's what's on the radar look at the end of the day it's it's really about sort of um you know there's there's a couple of different dimensions that that are that are sort of super important to stay on top of one is you know are, are the people who are selling the data whatever that is um are they able to sell it do they have the right to sell it are they selling something that they own and have rights to sell that is not just for marketing purposes only, but they also have the ability to sell it to third parties? So like, is there a legal opportunity to do that? And then there's, then there's the, the you know, sort of privacy concerns around opt-in and GDPR and CCPA and, and sort of where does that go in the United States over the next couple of years? Um, you know, as you've seen with uh, Apple iOS 14 changes and Android, um, you know, sort of uh, all of these different uh, walled gardens are making real moves around privacy, um, and it's going to impact the fidelity of data sets that have been sort of, um, you know, sort of not opt in or not sort of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, up on the, you know, sort of the the privacy laws that are now sort of fluid and changing and frankly, getting to a place that looks more like Europe, right? Europe's already gone through a lot of these changes. And so, you know, sort of, I think, you know, being, being you know, and, and then those, and it's not necessarily, and then what you're assessing on the risks is like, are they really, are they legal, legal risks or are they data set risks, which means that the data sets will change or go away or degrade. Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know, what business are you building on that? But, you know, sort of, you know, sort of one of the things that, you know, we see now is that as the landscape changes, um, you know, we see it as a, as, as, a, as a real opportunity because compliance becomes a competitive advantage. You know, do, being on the front foot and understanding where the world is going from a privacy perspective and then building your business around that gives you a competitive advantage against everybody who's been operating on the old rules. And for no other reason than what the, the rules are just changing. And so, you know, we, we, we actually sort of uh, spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if people are focused on can the can the company sell the data that they're selling, yes or no, and then you know are you know are they staying on the right side of privacy regs where they are and where they could go, and, and you know like those those are two of the big sort of things. Um, you know, it's really about it, it's really about their collection fidelity and, and and whether or not they have the right to sell the data. So you're thinking ahead. Do, would would that mean if you found a if you found a data set which was, you know, full of alpha, really interesting in all the in all the usual ways. Um, and was not as uh, protected against the the direction that privacy might go in the next three to four years. You might take a pass on it, even though the the, the regulations haven't gone that way yet. But you're making buying decisions based on where you think the regulation might go in the future. Uh, absolutely. I I mean, you know, we, you know, we we are not in. Um... You know, you know, we haven't talked about Carbonarch yet, but we're not, we're not, we're not selling into financial services. Um, we are selling into corporates. But if you're building a, a you know, a product layer, um, and there is, you know, data feedstock that is going to power, you know, the decision intelligence insights that that we're going to be pushing out, uh, we certainly don't want to build it on something that might go away in a year, right? Um, and so we, we're 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 being very thoughtful around sort of 
our strategy around collection and partnership um, with 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 providers um, on on the uh, on the data side. We've kind of stepped away from your from your career, which is why we haven't um, we haven't uh, we haven't kept with the timeline in the same way. But um, so you left Point Seventy Two in February twenty twenty one, or probably a bit before or after, depending on on non competes and things. But um, then you you've co founded Carbon Arc in March twenty twenty one. So so what is Carbon Arc? So, um, you know, Carbon Arc is, is you know, sort of, uh, it, it's the, it's a startup uh, in decision intelligence that Tim Walsh, um, my dear friend, uh, co-founder, um, and sort of uh, colleague at a, in another shop, uh, he worked at Samlin Capital, um, and, you know, sort of uh, did a number of things there as a partner, but, um, you know, let, you know, ran non-traditional research, which was, their proprietary research business. Um, you know, he and I founded Carbon Arc, um, two guys and an idea in March of 2021. Um, and, and we believe that for all the data that exists uh, in the world, um, it's largely housed in 15 firms in Silicon Valley and a bunch of uh, firms on Wall Street and everyone else is just picking up the scraps, right? And for all the manner of, for all the data in the world, um, it is the, the, this, for the supply of data, there, there is massive demand for insight, but there really is no way to access it. And so the supply side and the demand side are too far apart. And Carbon Arc is stepping in to be the buy side um, to create an insight, um, you know, an insight engine um, and a decision intelligence engine to help corporate executives make better decisions using data. So what does that look like? What does the de- what does the de- decision intelligence en- engine look like in this case? So, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's, it's a very similar dynamic to, you know, if you think about sort of, uh, you know, uh, insight products, uh, you know, and, and sort of their, their pipeline, you have to go find, you have to go find the feedstock or the data. You have to, you know, sort of transform it into uh, an insight. Um, and you have to distribute it. So you have to, you have to, you have to make it sort of, um, you know, uh, accessible um, by the corporate. And so what we're really doing is um, at a fundamental level, um, we're using um, appropriate frameworks and archetypes um, to filter and strain um, said data into the types of insights that corporates are going to need to use um, to create lift in their businesses. At a fundamental level, you know, sort of we believe that um, for all of the data that really exists, even inside these organizations, um, nobody is really harnessing and digitally transforming their businesses um, in the way that they want to. You look at all the surveys, excuse me, they will they will they will they will they will reflect that. Um, But, you know, we are we are building out, um, you know, sort of a, a data pipeline. Um, that we convert into actionable insight um, for corporate executives to make, um, you know, sort of make moves uh, on everything from who they should partner with to different targeting strategy tra- uh, strategies um, to, um, you know, su- supply chain insight um, and, and the like. Um, and, you know, at a fundamental level, we're building a platform that we hope to, you know, sort of transform um, and, and, and layer um, you know, sort of uh, the, the cloud stack that exists with the context layer. We're creating context on top of data to help, you know, decision makers make better decisions. I've had McKinsey on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, would you see them as a competitor in this business? You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of different angles people are trying to play. Um, 
I think they, you know, sort of, I think the, I think the consulting firms um, are definitely trying to figure out what to do. Um, you know, sort of, they have a different model, um, but I do think that they are playing in the same place, which is they're in the insight business, right? So yeah. if we're talking about the insight business, then yes. Um, you know, I, I think fundamentally, um, you know, sort of, uh, they have a, they have a business model transformation and they, they need to undergo, um, which is their high priced consulting firms, um, that have to sort of bring data into their business to augment, um, you know, uh, and it, there's a, there's a longer conversation around what that means to their, you know, sort of their, their, their operating structure going forward. Um, but, um, I, I do think, you know, sort of the, you know, we, we are sort of, um, much more a, you know, sort of a data pipeline of frameworks and archetypes to help, uh, you know, sort of different parts of, you know, in a cross-functional organization, different parts of that organization um, make decisions, right? Um, you know, and so, you know, I could see them as a, a partner as well. Fantastic. Um, you have clearly made a, um, a kind of a, a decision having spent uh, your career in the in in hedge funds focused on making money in the in the financial markets using alternative data you have left point 72 and gone into the corporate sphere um thinking that um uh, there's a lot of uh, exciting things to be done with data um and uh potentially the corporate 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 area is is is, is a, a great opportunity can you can you talk me through like why why do you think we're at some kind of inflection point at the moment bringing alternative data to the to the corporate world is that is that this step have you always wondered about the corporate world where where did this come from i mean where it came from was you know sort of uh as, as time went on, on on wall street and sitting in the seats we were in both tim and i you know started to look at um you know sort of the rest of the world and started to look at um you know, sort of the, the, the big data monopolies that exist and, you know, how data actually, you know, sort of, um, you know, engages corporates and what corporate uh, organizations um, are really doing to digitally transform. And we, were, we just saw we just saw this massive opportunity um, where, you know, there's a couple things going on, which is like you've got the data monopolies that are big and getting bigger. Right. So you, you see the M&A. Right. Um, you see what's happening with IRI and with Nielsen and, and these these large, you know, sort of landed, you know, sort of huge, you know, conglomerate monopolies of data. Right. Um, wow. You know, um, you see what's happening with privacy in Silicon Valley, you know, and, and, and there's there's a there's an insight in, in data liquidity problem in the United States and globally. Right. Data exists on every balance sheet in the world. Procter & Gamble has data, Boston Red Sox have data, um, you know, all, think about, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Apple has data, but the data sits on their balance sheets and it doesn't, it doesn't move. And maybe they're using that first party data to, to transform it and, 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 and run their businesses better. But, you know, in terms of third party data moving, it doesn't move, right? And it's still very nascent and in its infancy. And then if you look at sort of, um, you know, sort of different moves, um, you know, um, in, in cloud provider land um, around sort of, you know, data exchanges and everything else, you just don't necessarily see the data liquidity there because the buy side isn't there, 
right? You look at all these enterprises and, and, and they haven't really developed out to a meaningful level, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the, you know, different pockets they have absolutely, but, you know, sort of different groups have, you know, you know, sort of, uh, you know, what I would call sort of, um, you know, uh, there's a sporadic, uh, you know, sort of investment in analytics, you know, sort of in buying third-party data, right? And buying data from outside their four walls. And so, you know, there's a number of different ways people are trying to approach this. Um, you know, you and I both know some of those people. Um, you know, there's some there's some interesting ideas out there. But we we believe that um, in order to power sort of the insights that are necessary, there's a requirement for massive domain knowledge, um, and you know, scale you know data products um, that pipe into sort of the problem statements of the companies you're trying to sell to, right? So you're you know, really taking it all the way to the wall. Um, and, you know, sort of, you know, pushing data sets to, um, you know, these large companies who are, you know, sort of working to sort of even negotiate their own internal first party data, you know, everybody, you know, sort of, you know, they, they want a complete solution. And so we're, you know, building an end to end data pipe um, to sort of provide that level of insight that allows for these organizations to create lift in their businesses. Um, you know, when you sort of look at all the players that are out there, there just aren't that many too, right? Um, you know, that aren't traditional um, sort of data monopoly seats. You've got the nice situation of having worked in a hedge fund, you have been in the front seat and and one of the most kind of privileged seats of understanding the way, as you say, all these all the all the large and small companies in the market work because you've been you've been trading them. So you know them extremely well. So that gives you a bit of a head start when you're going and knocking on their doors saying we can help because you you you've got a you've got a, a pretty good knowledge of their history and their and their problems today potentially. My quest uh, question is how so you go to potentially a, a, a company and say look um, a way of solving your problem is in is in external data. Um, you need to stop saying alternative data and start saying external data. Now you're in the corporate world. Um, do you? Um, so do you? Do, so do you then? Um, do you already own the data, or do you using your? Do you, does the client buy the data and you you use it and you kind of build their processes internally? How is what is uh, what is Carbon Arts relationship with? data providers, I guess. Oh, yeah. we're, 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 we're selling access to insight, right? We are not a consultant. Um, we are not um, farming um, data on behalf of clients. We are, we are sort of, we are using balance sheet to buy, buy and partner with um, data providers um, to create, um, you know, sort of rich insight where there are multiple data sets involved in those insights and pushing those insights to, um, you know, sort of potential and actual clients um, who are then taking that and putting it into their models and or putting it into reports to sort of internally make decisions, you know, around, um, you know, different markets they should go into or, um, you know, sort of we're, we're, we're looking at sort of how people spend their time and how people spend their money and we're d delivering insight on that. Um, we are, you know, sort of delivering insight on, um, you know, sort of how supply chains are operating um, and how to think about sort of um, winners and losers and competitive dynamics um, and impacts of the, you know, global economy on pricing. You know, the, 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 the thrust of the problem statement um, is, is different than traditional sort of um, insight that you would deliver to, you know, sort of investment teams in that um, we are not sort of um, necessarily, you know, trying to predict 
um, you know, something in, 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 in an income statement um, to drive an earnings number and an understanding of a beat and a miss on a quarter. Um, we are much more trying to understand the inputs um, in these respective businesses around share of wallet and share of time um, to sort of help them understand, um, you know, sort of fundamentally, you know, who their customers are, what their customers are doing, and what their competitors are doing to try to get those customers. I was just talking to a provider of geolocation data who was saying that it's, you know, that you can answer all sorts of questions, for example, with geolocation data, such as, um, should we be putting in electric car charging points on our position in order, in order to uh, bring in a higher quality of customer, that kind of thing, you know? Um, so that could be the kind of thing that you could, you could provide that kind of, that kind of answer. If you had, can, if you uh, got, can, if you got that geolocation data, then you could provide that service to a customer. I, I'm afraid I'm, I'm being dead. How do you get the geolocation data? Uh, we we partner with uh, we partner with providers. Okay, you're partnering yeah, so, with so, them. So, 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 so you're we, sitting we, on the front. You're yeah, sitting we, on the front of providers in a way. Yeah, we 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 own we own we 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 own data. Um, we we partner with 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 providers. Um, you know, there's you know sort of we create data. Um, we're 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 doing all of the things um, that that we can do um, to create a knowledge asset um, that is you know, sort of able to be, you know, sort of aggregated and understood and joined in a way that allows for rich insight, you know, and, 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 yeah. um, and, 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 you know, sort of, and that frankly, excuse me, is, um, has been, has been, has been, you know, sort of, uh, a re, you know, a, a really good process for us um, because, you know, as we partner with providers, um, you know, sort of, we are, you know, starting to think about, um, how this market is going to change and evolve over the next five years um, and, you know, sort of want to be part of that evolution um, because, frankly, um, the data market and the data buying market is still very much in the first inning, right? Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of forward-thinking partners out there that we're, that we're working with, um, you know, to sort of, you know, change the way that sort of data seems to transact in the world, right? Um, and And so... Um, you know, we'll be working with people that sell data as a primary part of their business or uh, exhaust data. We're also going to be talking to people who have never sold data before. Mm. Perfect. I think we've, I think we've done um, primary research and carbon arc justice in our conversation. Um, unless there's anything which, which you think any, there's any glaring emissions that we haven't talked about. Not that I can think of. The only thing I would say is, you know, um, one of the things that I think is most compelling about what we're approaching today and, 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 and what's interesting about where we are in the life cycle of uh, data-driven analysis and, and, and digital transformation of the global economy is you're, you're really starting to see the financialization of the information stack, whereby you know, we, we, we've lived in a world where you buy data as a block, right? You, you know, you, you, you talk to a credit card transaction player and you say, listen, you know, for this SLA, we'll pay you X amount of dollars annually. And you use the data and, you know, sort of, you know, whether you're using it for corporate or for trading or what have you, there's a return on that block trade um, that you create with your business. Um, but at a fundamental level, it really should be, um, you know, a free-flowing um, 
relationship with the data provider, right? Like there should be, they should get paid on consumption of the data, not a block, right? Um, because that will create, you know, sort of more liquidity in the world, right? Because there are only 10 people who can buy the block, you know? Should they, should they be paid uh, uh, commensurate to the value that the, their data created? Yeah, why wouldn't they, right? So, yeah. you know, we, we, are, we are sort of working towards that goal because we actually believe that, um, you know, sort of, you know, one of the problems that exists, you know, in the data market, which is, in, you know, frankly, impeding liquidity, there are multiple things, but one of them is, um, you know, uh, data providers are largely capped by their, um, you know, sort of customers' willingness to pay, mm. right? Rather than the value creation of the underlying. As such, right? So, you know, we are we are working to figure out sort of um, how to build out consumption frameworks, um, whereby um, providers get paid, um, you know, as a function of, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, results. Sort of results, right? And it's 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 early days, but that the financialization, because at the end of the day, what a research, what a, what a data product or an an insight or an input, right, is all it is 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 a structured product. So you take a feed, you take the feedstock and you turn it into an insight. It might be multiple data sets, what have you. But if you think about a structured product, there, there, there's sort of three parts to the structured product. There's volatility. Sometimes it's going to be right and sometimes it's going to be wrong um, because that's how the world works. And there's usually bias in all of the data, right? There's always bias. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, there's vol. There's a cash flow associated with the decision on it, right? Whether it's a trade in a market or, you know, making a decision to do an ad buy you know, as, as a video game company. Right. Um, and then the last thing is there's time decay, right? So like that structured product eventually goes to zero because it's a, it's a predictive element, right? Yeah. So like the real world shows up and it goes to zero. Those three dimensions and as a structured product, you know, are, are the dimensions that you sort of need to price options or to think about sort of the, the you know, sort of the, the price of a bond. Right. So like at a fundamental level, we are creating, you know, these are, these are financial products to a degree, and as such, it's the financialization of the information stack, right? So like we actually believe that, you know, sort of like one of the analogies we use when we're talking about the world is like in mortgages in the United States um, in 1975 sat on every balance sheet in the United States at every community bank and they didn't move. They sat there and they clipped their 3, 3%. And then, and then, and then sort of, and then there was the financialization and securitization of the mortgage market, which then that, how, did, how did that go? Did that go well? It went well for, it went <laughs> for well a while. Until, yeah, until 2008. <laughs> um, there's always caps and everything else that need to go into it. Is it is it going to carry on into? Um, so does does this flow of money for data? Does it flow in your vision? Does it end up with the consumer? Do I end up getting paid for my credit card data, which has Absolutely. been through the credit card? Yeah. So that's Absolutely. so you're so you're bringing the whole world of of data, money for data. Um, you're bringing it all into into life type thing. I I, I actually believe that um, the transformation of data over the next five years will have uh, everybody being paid for their data should they want it to be used for insight in the world, right? Um, and it might not be five years, it might be 10. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's actually sort of, and I think the, I think the blockchain enables all of it. Um, and um, because of the transparency and the remittance layer, um, but at a fundamental level, I do believe that, um, you know, sort of the, the, the opportunity set for 
um, for you know sort of uh, financialization of information um, and turning it into knowledge, and then having that knowledge uh, create better decisions. Uh, that that pipeline is going to be formed, developed, um, and engaged in a way where it becomes you know sort of a really rich um, you know front to back um, supply chain. Brilliant. Well, that's very good news for me as a punter. Um, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm delighted, and I think I think it. I think you speak a lot of sense, Kirk, and I think. It's interesting. It ties up a few trends um, in terms of everyone talking about corporates right now in terms of, I don't know, a suggestion that I've, I've had it on the podcast a couple of times, a hint of people moving from buy side into product um, and product perhaps is a better place to approach the corporate world. I don't know. It's, it's There's a lot of ways that data seems to be shifting a little bit in that direction. So it sounds familiar. It sounds right. Um, and, um, yeah, very exciting vision. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think we've, I think we've done the subject justice in general, Kirk. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and, and talking through it all and, um, and best of luck with Carbon Arc. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, to seeing as it goes from strength to strength. No, I appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate the time and, uh, the, the good candid back and forth and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, let's do it again at some point. For sure. Sounds great.